Happy Thursday, everyone, and thanks for keeping it locked on Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke, fortunate enough to be joined by XU of A head men's basketball coach, XUSC basketball coach, Marquette, Tennessee, NBA guy as well, Mr. Kevin O'Neill. How you doing, coach? Long time no talk. I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? Not too bad. You know, uh, we had a couple people ask on the uh, the last interview. Uh, you mentioned, uh, first and foremost, what you kind of been up to out there, and uh, you mentioned you were working for a law firm. What, uh, what exactly are you doing out there? I do all kinds of stuff. I do uh, subpoena serving, process serving, jail visits, a little bit of everything. You like it? That's yeah, all right. It just passes the time. I feel you. And then, all right, so you got Arizona. Arizona hired a new coach in uh, Tommy Lloyd from Gonzaga. Um, first, right. before we get to Tommy Lloyd, what's kind of your impression of the Gonzaga program that's been built over the last 20 years? I mean, being on the West Coast, you were able to see some of this. Well, they're obviously a top-ten program in the country. You're in and you're out. It's never a fluke when they win a game. To me, they're one of the elite programs in the country. There's no question about it. What do you think about the hire of Tommy Lloyd? Just, you know, when you first heard about it, were you surprised? Did it make sense? What was Coach K.O. thinking? I'm not, I wasn't familiar with the search or what they were looking for. I'm sure whoever did the hiring, I would assume the AD and the president, had, you know, parameters of what they wanted in mind. And they probably tried to hire Mark first. <laughs> And, you know, maybe a couple other calls. And then, you know, Tommy fit what they wanted, obviously, or they wouldn't have heard him. When you were coaching at Arizona, when what was it like from a recruiting aspect? Was it easy to get your foot in the door just being that, you know, you're a well-known coach and that you're at Arizona? How much does that brand still carry appeal to national-type kids? Well, you're, you're going to be involved with any kids you really want to be involved with. You know, it's on the same par as, Kansas, North Carolina, Kentucky. Arizona's in the same breath as those. Thanks to what Lou did over a long period of time, they're they're mentioned in the same breath as, as all the other Blue Bloods now. Now you look at what's happening in the Pac-12 right now, and over the last couple years, you kind of see Oregon kind of take a little bit of a foothold in the conference, and UCLA's coming up right now. How big of a problem are those two teams from a competitive standpoint going forward, and do you see both of those ones sustaining where they've been? I hope all the programs that are playing well keep playing well. Right. I mean, it's uh, for a long time it was Arizona and the rest of the pack, and that's changed now a little bit. And if you look at you know the best conferences nationwide, the SEC, the ACC, the Big East, there's there's no no one program that dominates in those conferences anymore. It's, there's a lot of good teams and good programs. You know, between this transfer portal and stuff like that, the the more teams that are good in the Pac-12, the better it is for Arizona. All right. Now, what do you think about the transfer portal? I had that in my notes. Do you like it? Do you hate it? What, is a, what does a coach like KO think about it? I think it's absolutely horseshit. All you're doing is turning turning over college basketball to the players. I don't think it makes any sense. I, I think it's, it's hard to have continuity in your program. I think, it's, I think it's the worst thing that's happened to college basketball. Is there any way that you can control that, do you think? Or does it pretty much, do you feel the floodgates are kind of open and you know what, there's nothing we can do at this point? The people at the NCAA and their infinite wisdom, who knows what they're thinking. I do know this. There haven't been many good decisions about NCAA basketball in the last five or six years. Uh, the enforcement staff for the NCAA is a joke. Uh, the guy that runs it is a joke. The bottom line is it's, it's not a good organization anymore. I would like to see all the Power 5 teams and, and a select other few break off and have their own, their own, uh, co- not their own conference, but their own, you know, their own set of teams, like maybe a top 60 or 70 or 80 teams, because it's, 
just not headed in the right direction for anything good for anybody in, in NCAA basketball, especially the coaches. Coach, you obviously you've talked we've talked before and you said that you preferred the NBA game over the college game. What about what about the NBA game besides the fact that they're just better makes it more pleasing to a guy like yourself? Well, you don't have to deal with parents and you know the, the NBA guys are already there. They've made it. They're easy to coach. These college guys all every one of them thinks they're going to be in the NBA and when they don't get enough shots or they don't get enough this or that, their mommy's and daddy's call. And then all their posse's all upset, and you know, let's let's face it, a minuscule amount of college players make it in the NBA, and every one of them thinks they should be in the NBA. They think they're getting screwed. That's why this transfer portal is just another excuse to, to have coaches get fired. You know, if, if you lose a lot of guys in your in transfers, all of a sudden you must be the problem. And I I don't think it's good for coaches. I really don't. Now, you got players then in which are basically moving around, and you talked about how you got the posses and everything in there. When somebody came to you, when a parent or a guardian or whatever the case may be, what would you say to them about why their kid wasn't playing? And how did that change from, say, you know, maybe in the late 80s when you were coaching at the U of A to when, you know, you were at USC there towards the end? How did that change if it did at all? Well, you know, the bottom line is, in the time I was in and out of college basketball in the NBA, it, be, it became where getting, it used to be getting a, a major college scholarship was a big deal. Nobody even asked that question if they're getting a scholarship anymore because, you know, everybody sees the money at the end of the rainbow. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where getting a college education is certainly not the priority of most players. And it's just, it's just the way it is. It, it used to be, you know, you took pride in your graduation rate and stuff like that. Nobody even talks about graduation rates anymore. You know, they just talk about how many people you put in the pros or, you know, whatever it might be. I think it, it got to a point where it's impossible to please these college players. It's just very difficult. And you're going to see, I, I don't know how many people end up in that transfer portal, but there'll be more every year if they keep it. When you were recruiting kids and you knew that they might have the ability to play in the NBA, or if you were recruiting somebody that you didn't really think had the ability to play in the NBA, Let's use a Matt Muehlbach for an example. Let's say that Matt or his parents said, you know what, how can you get us to the NBA? And you're thinking in the back of your mind, eh, I don't really know how that's going to work. How, what would your talk be with certain recruits depending on their skill? To, their well, skill? I think you need to be honest with guys. I mean, you know, I, I, I've told several kids in several homes, I don't think you're going to be in the NBA, but I think you can get a really good education, and I think you can have a really nice college career. Nobody wants to hear that. That's for sure. They'd rather you lie to them and then be disappointed after the end of the first year. Now, moving on to a little bit of uh, NBA hoops right now. When you look at the landscape of the league right now, where would you say it is from a talent and skill perspective to say where it was 25 years ago when you know Michael Jordan was running the league? Over that period of time, you've gotten more teams, so more guys make the league than probably should. The fewer the teams in the NBA, if you look at history, the more stars there were. Because, you know, the talent isn't diluted across 30 teams, maybe across 16 or 18 or whatever it was. It's all relative, but there are great, great, great players today. I mean, you can't find better players than LeBron James and uh, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Tyree Irving. I mean, these guys are unbelievable talent. They would have been successful in any era. The difference in the eras has been there's no physicality left in the game at all for the most part. You can't touch anybody. I mean, when Jordan was playing, 
he got knocked on the ground five times a game. And it, it's just now it's a flagrant one or a flagrant two if you touch anybody. I think that's the biggest change in the game, and it makes it a little bit easier for star players to do what they want on the court when you can't, you can't touch them. What do you think about the emergence of super teams where, you know, you basically have 70% of the talent in the league concentrated on five teams, good or bad for the league? There's enough good players to go around the league. I mean, the super teams obviously are, have a better chance to win than the, the teams that don't have two or three great superstars. But the bottom line is, over time, those things work themselves out, and it becomes, you, know, you get guys like uh, the, the guys that are with the Jazz that started out as, you know, not super, like super talented guys, but became that. So players develop into those roles, and it'll keep it, it'll keep it even across the board as it goes forward. Who are some of your favorite people to just kind of enjoy your time with in basketball circles over the years? In the NBA? NBA, college, just, you know, when KO's thinking about, all right, I want to talk a little hoops, maybe grab a couple drinks. Who are the kind of the guys that just come to your mind that you, you like, you know, engaging with? When I was in college, I hung out with Bob Huggins all the time. Uh, when I was in the NBA, I hung out with players most of the time. Like, for instance, when I was in Detroit, and I remained great friends with them for years, Cliff Robinson was a good friend of mine. Mike Curry, Corliss Williamson. You know, I, you grab it in the in the colleges, but I, I stayed away from most other coaches most of the time. But I hung out with Hugs all the time because we were going to do the same thing. I didn't hang out with many guys, to be honest with you. What about Coach Huggins really kind of drew you to him? Because I could totally, I could totally see you guys kick, hitting it off. Hey, I, the, guy, the guy's fun. He likes to drink beers and go out. Now, when you're on the road recruiting for a month straight, I don't feel like going to bed at 9 o'clock at night, and neither did Bob. And, you know, we, we used to hang out every night on the road. I still stay in touch with him. Now, Coach, you mentioned uh, about the NCAA and it being run and basically being it a bunch of crap. I'm going to put Coach. I'm going to put Kevin O'Neill in charge of the NCAA right now. What are two or three things? Because you're a cut through the uh, red tape kind of guy. What are some of the things that you would do to make college basketball and college athletics better for everyone around? Oh man, that's there's, there's so many problems there now. They can say they can admit it or not. If they don't have the NCAA basketball tournament, there is no NCAA. Because all these other sports do not make money. They just, they just don't make money. You know, if you had a business model and you were running a corporation and you had 28 sports uh, on your campus and 26 of them lost money, if that was a business, you'd cut those out. But what, what's happened is I think Title IX got a little bit misconstrued and all of a sudden we were matching Scholarship for scholarship with football schools, which is very difficult to do and costs a lot of money. And I, I just think that there's, there's a lot of these athletic departments, most of them are running in the red all the time. It's hard to, it's hard to justify that within a university where you have faculty and administration and you know, everybody else that, that wants their piece of the pie, too. And I think the other thing that's happened, I've, there's way too much freedom for players to come and go as they want, evidenced by the transfer portal. I mean, it's it's, it's basically, you're, you're not telling any, like if you go as a freshman to college and you don't immediately like your situation, you can leave with no penalty. Uh, it used to be guys would wait their turn a little bit. Roy Williams talked a little bit about that when he retired, about how just the landscape of college basketball, and it kind of felt like, I'm building this roster. I'm looking at a guy that's going to be there in year two and year three that I can build on, and oh, by the way, he's not there anymore. There's a lot of players that came through Arizona that redshirted. Right. That were really good pros. Sean Rooks was one. 
I mean, Judd Bushler waited his turn behind a lot of guys. Look at Jason Playing Terry. Jason Terry didn't even start till Jason Terry didn't even start till his senior year. I know, but that would never happen nowadays. Guys would just leave. There's guys leaving schools that are averaging 15 or 16 points a game because I'm sure somebody's telling them they need to get more shots. And if you don't average 25, you're not going to get drafted and all this. There's a lot of bad advice being given to young players nowadays by their parents and by whoever tells them whatever they want to hear blow up their skirt. But when it, when it gets all said and done, what's the best for the kid? Shouldn't he stay, fight through a little bit, get a great education, and then move into the world? Because not many of them are moving into the NBA world. A lot of them are moving into, like, no world because they don't get an education while they're there. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, what do I do now? There's a lot of that. Coach, we had uh, before we let you go. One person uh, messaged me, and uh, I think I think this is a great question, and I didn't tell you about this before because I wanted to get who first comes to mind. When you think of the best basketball player that you, Kevin O'Neill has ever seen, whether it's on TV, just when you think of the greatest basketball player ever, are you a Michael Jordan guy? Uh, I'm a huge Michael Jordan guy. The most talented player I've ever seen was Vince Carter. Okay. The most talented player. I mean, he. He was unbelievable in terms of athleticism and ability. But Michael Jordan had, like LeBron does, like Durant does, there's something about them that separates the great, great ones from the very talented ones. But Michael Jordan would be my pick, yeah. If it it wouldn't have been cut short, I think Magic Johnson would be in the same breath. Right. But Magic Johnson, people forget, had won five titles already. Three finals MVPs. He's 31, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was... This guy had a lot of great years left in him. He would have been in the same breath as Michael Jordan or maybe even above. Unfortunately, it was cut short for him. He's Coach Kevin O'Neill, and we'll have him on again here soon. And, Coach, as always, we really appreciate the time, and thanks for giving us a couple minutes of your day, buddy. All right, see you, Mike. All right, talk to you soon. You've been listening to Locked On Wildcats.